Hello and welcome to the People of Polk, the official podcast of the Polk County Board of Supervisors. Here we discuss real issues that matter to the people of Polk County, Iowa. Issues like public health, criminal justice reform, and economic development right here in our community. I'm your host, John Cahill, and today we're discussing mental health. We are here with Polk County Supervisor Angela Connolly, representing District 2. Also joining us is Jennifer Uli Wells, the Executive Director of Please Pass the Love Foundation, a nonprofit specializing in providing awareness to mental health in our schools. I'd like to welcome both of you. Thanks, John. I'm happy to be here today. Thanks for having us. Angela, I want to begin with you. Mental health awareness and mental health supports is a large priority for Polk County. Can you explain why it's an area that you've spent a great deal of time focusing on? Sure. Be happy to. Once you start advocating really hard for something, I think it really comes from your heart first. And I've had experience firsthand back in early 2000 of the devastation and confusion, panic, anger, all of those things when you feel helplessness of trying to help a loved one navigate our mental health system. And I really believed early on that our system was not working. But I also found out later that with proper treatment, people with mental illness can carry on as a contributing member of our community. However, they really face a lot of barriers when they try to get proper treatment. And uh, we get waiting lists, we get lack of health insurance and parity. And uh, for too many instances, this results in emergency rooms, landing in jail, and sometimes even end up in the homeless shelters. And Jennifer, as the executive director of Please Pass the Love Foundation, I want you to first kind of talk a little bit about how this organization was founded and what exactly is your mission? Yeah, so Angela started to touch on all of the reasons why this is founded. We're in a state that doesn't have, especially a children's mental health system, and we see the consequences of that in schools. And so I was a teacher for many, many years working with kids that had, you know, significant emotional and behavioral issues, but a lot of those were rooted in untreated mental health. And it's really hard to be able to access those mental health resources. So for myself personally, you know, I grew up in a house that had some significant traumas. I had my first suicidal thoughts when I was 12, but I didn't really want to die. I wanted the pain to be over. So for me, part of this is personal. But then as a teacher working in schools that aren't equipped, they don't have the resources to meet mental health needs, there was this major gap. And so it was really just a collision at all the wrong times or maybe the right times to do something. And so um, Please Pass the Love has been around since 2013. 14, we got our 501c3, and it's really designed to help empower schools to create sustainable systems, and then also providing students with some mental health resources and services. So it's a comprehensive approach to youth mental health through the schools. And we're going to get into a little bit more about mental health as it relates during COVID-19 here in just a second. But uh, Angela, first, mental health supports have likely never been more important because of COVID-19 and its impact. Can you talk a little bit about how the county is is dealing with that? Oh, on so many fronts, we're dealing with it. The Our mental health numbers have increased probably 40% by just the number of calls that we received and the number of services that people are needing. From our homeless shelter to all the case management, you know, now you cannot see your providers Uh, in person. So we had to come up with a way for our folks to be able to meet with our providers. And so we provided either phones, bought additional packages for their phones when they ran out, 
bottom iPads so they can actually do telemedicine with those folks. So there are, we had to find different and unique ways to be able to do that for our uh, clients. And likewise, Jennifer, I want you to weigh in on this as well, uh, specifically as it relates to education. What are you facing regarding mental health in students? What were you seeing pre-COVID and what are you seeing now? What are some of the challenges now that you're facing because of COVID? Yeah, I really appreciate this question because I think it's really important to talk about pre-COVID schools and the community, uh, parents had tremendous challenges when it came to mental health. Two years ago, our legislature passed uh, the Children's Mental Health Redesign. We have yet to see it fully funded. So in terms of being able to have a robust system of care for parents and young people to tap into, it still is not anywhere near uh, what other states across the nation are doing and doing well. So that falls into schools and schools not having the resources that they need to adequately be able to meet students' mental health needs. And that was before COVID. So there's a really strong narrative that we need kids in schools for their mental health. And so some of that is students thrive with connectedness and they thrive with being able to have access to their peers and then adults that they know that care about them and love them. And that's tremendous. But then we also have a lot of students that really are struggling and they have been struggling. You know, when you have a mental illness or you've been struggling with your own mental health, this COVID has absolutely exacerbated that. And so trying to get people that are struggling at a more intensive level, the resources they need is really, really hard. And it was it has everything to do with pre-COVID, not having access to, to mental health services as schools. We didn't magically, when COVID happened, then all of a sudden, you know, schools have everything they need to be able to meet the needs of, of students. So there, there's a lot of complex layers to this. And I hope that it's a wake-up call to people in power making decisions to know that this is a major issue and the mental health impact of COVID is going to far outlast the virus itself. And this really extends beyond uh, students and mental health warning signs for them, but we're talking, this has got to have a impact on educators and parents as well. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you bring that up too, is that, you know, families are struggling, you know, whether it's the financial impact, their own isolation, you know, people totally out of the routines, whether it's social media or media, those are real toxic um, triggers for people. And then our educators, I get emails all of the time from educators, whether in my capacity as a school board member or in my capacity with Please Pass the Love, educators are struggling. They feel devalued by the general community and what they're able to do with students. They're scared for their own safety because there's a narrative that don't worry about COVID in schools because it's not going to hurt kids. Well, we have to remember that kids aren't the only people taking space in schools. We also have adults. And so all of these things are triggering a lot of toxic stress for people. And so we're seeing trauma responses from our educators too, because toxic stress in, in small amounts is okay, but we've been doing this now for what, seven or eight months. And so it's really, really wearing on people. And Angela, the county is very involved in this as it relates to schools as well through the health department, right? Yes, they've really been in contact with all of the superintendents and the teachers really providing the support that is needed and uh, particularly with our Polk County Health Services Board and staff uh, providing any resources that they feel is necessary because as Jennifer said it's not only the students but it's the uh, teachers and the admin staff doing whatever they can to make sure 
that everyone feels safe in those school buildings, you know, wearing masks, washing your hands, and continuing to do the work that needs to be done and following those CDC guidelines is uh, is a tough task when you're dealing with all those folks in those school buildings. So I know that they're providing as much service as they can with all of those people in the administration. And Jennifer, I know the county has uh, provided a grant to your organization for supporting services and staff. How, how is that going? How, how is that being used? We received a grant, or actually two grants from Polk County. The first one was for supports uh, groups for staff. We know that staff are so stressed out and we wanted to be able to offer an outlet. And so we were able to hire a local Polk County mental health agency and they did two staff support groups for us, or I guess we launched uh, the sign up for those and those filled up immediately. So then we created another one and that filled up immediately. So we have three full school staff support groups going on right now through I think the end of November to really help school staff be able to just find a place to connect with others, to be able to vent, to be able to get support with each other. And then we received another grant from Polk County through the mental health region to do skills-based groups for students. So we're hiring BHIS workers through Polk County, you know, able to do things like anxiety, depression, how do I cope with a variety of stressors, coping skills. We've been doing this in partnership with the University of Iowa and BVU, where we have grad students in clinical programs that they needed their hours and we have students that have need. And so we created this program that started earlier this fall where they've been doing these skills-based groups with kids across the state. So we really just wanted to bring it into Polk County too and make sure that our students within the county were also able to access these resources. And so we're very, very grateful. Uh, Polk County supervisors have been long champions of mental health long before COVID. And so we're just very grateful that they recognize the urgency and they're you know, really able to connect with agencies to get the services to those that need them the most. And Angela, obviously, this is going to be ongoing for a while. What are, what are some of the biggest obstacles the county faces regarding mental health in the community? Is it providing enough funding? Is it ending the stigma of mental health? What would you say? Well, I used to say uh, I always talk about the funding, and stigma goes right along with it. But, you know, I think people are more aware than they ever have before when it comes to the stigma on mental health, but we will always continue to advocate for the funding. We always are going to need additional funding. This year, we will be at the legislature looking for additional funding. We are $14 million as a shortfall. As Jennifer mentioned, we are just getting off the ground. We, we need a children's mental health system. Uh, we've talked about it for several years. We need to get moving on that. But just the adult system, we need to continue to make sure we have those services. During COVID, you know, this telehealth, that's one of the things that we learned. But we want to make sure that that's going to continue. Right now, we say because of uh, COVID and the federal government, we'll be able to carry that on through February. Well, we want to make sure that's moving forward even after February because so many people are counting on that. And parity. Just because you have a mental health uh, diagnosis doesn't mean that these providers shouldn't get paid their full pay for that. And also, these providers are suffering so much because we don't have enough workforce for our needs. 
We've got to continue our services with the Crisis Observation Center. Our first in the state, our psychiatric urgent care clinic that Broadlines has at their 23-hour crisis center where anyone can walk in and get their meds immediately. That's the first one in the state of Iowa. And instead of waiting 30 or 60 days to see a doctor, we want to continue those services, but those come with a cost. And that's why we need to continue to to advocate for funding. And you both have been advocates for so long. You're certainly experts in this field. How do you go about identifying somebody who might have a need for mental health services? I mean, a lot of people, I think, can just go about their day and not realize the person next to them is struggling. Are there signs that you would recommend looking out for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you know, when Angela talked earlier about when you're a family member or a loved one, you don't, I mean, you know, your family members, especially if you're a parent and it's your child or it's a partner, you know them better than anybody else. So you know what they look like on, and you're certainly going to know what they look like off. And so, you know, using your gut is is the first round of defense, but we're looking at especially whether it's children or, or partners, sleep that's been disrupted, um, eating habits changing, withdrawing more, becoming more recluse. So, and it's hard now with COVID because most of us aren't just accessing our friends in the way that we had in the past. Are we going to work? Are we successful in school? And if we're not, and there's not another sensible reason why not, then that's a concern. And so I always recommend to people, if you're ever concerned, always seek out your primary care physician, your pediatrician, because they can help go through some of the primary, you know, triage or screening. Is there something more going on? And I want to say too, that as a person that has had chronic anxiety I have ADHD and I had depression when I was younger and it absolutely can always still manifest itself. When COVID hit, my anxiety went through the roof and I didn't hesitate to contact my psychiatrist and say, hey, I my meds, I think we need more. And so, and then my therapist, I go to my therapist all of the time and I don't apologize for that. You know, at 42 years old, I do these things for myself because I want to live a happy and healthy life. There's no sense in in crying in the fetal position in the corner, which we could all do when there's treatment out there. And so I do want to drive home for anybody that's feeling like I'm not in a good place. And I feel like, you know, the world tells me I should just suck it up and be okay. That's not logical. Mental health is a medical condition, just like asthma. So we don't will asthma out of our lungs any more than we do mental health. And so it's really a sign of strength to seek out help. And Angela has mentioned a whole bunch of things that the county has done to help increase accessibility to mental health, but there's still tons and tons of providers that are doing telehealth. There's many that are doing it in person. Um, We have some agencies, the University of Iowa has a partnership where they're uh, doing mental health, telehealth for refugees, multiple languages. So the resources are out there and available. And if anybody ever needs help connecting them, I know Angela would be more than willing to, and, and I would as well. Well said, Jennifer. There's there's a lot of resources in our county that anybody can access. And if you go on our website, uh, there will be a list connected right to Polk County Health Services also that is an array of services that we have. And NAMI, Pass the Love, all of these agencies are there to serve. And when it comes down to it, you can also call your primary health care. But Uh, More importantly, if you haven't reached out to any one of your family members, I think it's important to do that because this COVID has really thrown a loop in a lot of families. And I know from just personal experience that they are just out of touch. They're afraid to go out. They're afraid to be around people. 
and, you know, FaceTime them. I know people are sick of Zoom, but it's really important to really see and get your eyes attached and see those people, your family members in particular, to make sure and check on them because this is a very difficult time. The holidays are coming. People are going to feel more isolated than ever because they're not going to be able to travel. They're not going to be with their extended family, and it's going to be tough for people. So just keep that in mind, particularly during this holidays. And that's a good segue. I mean, we've got yeah, COVID, we've got civil unrest, we're just coming off a contentious election, and we're heading into the holidays. So now is probably a good time to take our own inventory about our own mental health. Do you have any advice on that, either of you? Well, I think, um, you know, to get outside as much as possible. Thank goodness the weather is good this week, but we know it's winter's coming and we'll be pushing out some ideas through the Polk County Health Department and what to do and what not to do, particularly during the holidays. But I think you just need to do what's best for you. If, if you have a hobby, if you like to cook, if you like to put puzzles together, uh, but continue to do something that you enjoy and try to be around your immediate family as much as possible. You know, I really still uh, obviously enjoy to cook and be around my grandchildren as much as possible. There's a little bit for everybody, but you have to do something for your own mental health, whether it's being outside, no matter what the weather is, you need to get your fresh air. I think that's really important. And you also need to stay safe. Yeah, those are all really good suggestions. And I would just add that, you know, the exercise piece is really critical. We know that the more we can build up endorphins, it helps burn off some of the toxic stress and the stress hormones like cortisol being released. Uh, Nutrition, there's a lot of research building that gut health and mental health are very closely related. And so even with our young people, you know, sometimes it's hard with kids, they want to be junk food junkies. And so it's not necessarily taking things away, but making sure that they also on top of that have their, you know, greens and leafy vegetables and all of those good things, making sure you're talking to somebody. And then mindfulness, you know, for many moons, people were very um, pushed back against things like yoga and meditation that sounds so hokey. And it's really not and it's very science based because we know that oxygen helps to burn off stress hormones. And so things like you know, meditating, there's a great app called Insight Timer, it's free, and it has, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of short meditations, long meditations, stuff for just two minutes. The science on that is pretty strong. And then Angela also mentioned finding something you love, you know, and and really, if you can use this time and start to channel energy into things that you do love and things that maybe you haven't had time for and trying to really shift the narrative in your own mind of what all of this means can, can also be helpful. And then finally, just again, tapping into your friends and your loved ones, you know, zoom, nobody loves zoom right now. If we all never zoom again, it's too soon, but at the same time we have, we're very lucky to have technology and so we can access grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends and loved ones. And to be able to see faces sometimes can do a world of difference for each of us. Angela Connolly, District 2 Supervisor, and Jennifer Uli Wells, Executive Director at Please Pass the Love. Thank you both for joining us. And we encourage you to share this podcast and sign up for future podcasts as we discuss the issues and concerns of the people of Polk. I'm John Cahill. Thanks so much for joining us. And please mask up and be well. <laughs>